0: So many glorious, familiar texts. The heavens are telling the glory of God. Their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. I'm so glad to see that on the way here. We've been in in clouds and gloom and droom the last few days, and what a delight to watch the Lord spread the heavens out before our eyes tonight. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth. Their utterances to the end of the world. There's a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, its circuit to the other end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all stars of light. Praise Him, highest heavens, the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. Oh, how often does our psalmist call upon creation to respond to the Creator? He established them forever and ever. He has made a decree that. Will not pass away. One hundred and forty eighth psalm. Worthy are you, O Lord, says the hosts of Revelation four, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. One of the wonders of our study tonight is the fact that God. Spoke everything into existence just because he wanted to. He desired it and brought it to pass. I am Yahweh the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another nor my praise to graven images. Very definitively distinctive. I am Yahweh. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will act, he says. For how can my name be profaned? And my glory I will not give to another, Isaiah 48.11. It's exciting and a delight in my heart to listen to the prophet Ezekiel refer to those moments when, for the last time, human lips will profane the name of the Lord. They will not profane my holy name anymore, he says. That's where creation is headed. We come this night to consider and to review and to savor, I trust, the wonder of God's glory in His creative acts, so distinctive in His ways. In Peter's words, I will be reminding you of things that you already know. And as Brother Peter said, you're established in that truth which is present with you, but it's always good to go over it again. Our focus is on the last of the five solas, five decisive corrections in the drift of the earthly church at a critical juncture when the gospel had been so fatally corrupted and turned into a lucrative system of human works and religion. We're reminded that this vital list of um, propositional, or prepositional phrases are requiring a subject. For all my young friends that are going through English, prepositions matter. When we talk about by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, those little prepositions have to have a subject. And the only fitting subject for the five solas is the wonder of justification or salvation. That's what had to be set apart as being absolutely distinctive, and it was done so through these four lines of truth. The four of them speak of the means that God brings about and the channel through which salvation is brought to man. The fifth one declares a the goal and the purpose, the reason for the preceding four. Ever and always, the wonder of God's saving work was for his great glory. We catch that exclusion and that specific way that God protects his glory in Ephesians two eight, don't we? By grace you're saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's God's gift. It's not of works. And then this little phrase, lest any man boast. God's so determined and and it's the way that it's absolutely going to be, there's not going to be a single breath of human pride when we bow before the one who saved us by grace. So, specifically in this hour, we're looking at the glory of God in creation and what a rich subject it is. So awesome. Glory in the Hebrew is kabo, that it has to do with something that's weighty, something that's very, very important, something that deserves honor and reverence. The Greek word is doxa, from which we get doxology, and it has to do with having an accurate opinion, gathering up evidence and coming to the conclusion that there is that which is worthy of praise or adoration. It's God's excellence put on display. It's Perfection revealed the glory of our God. It's the sum of His Godness, if you will. The worth and grandeur of His built-in perfections and attributes put on display in a variety of ways. In the way that He created being one of them. You are familiar with Paul's expression as well in Romans 11.36. From Him, through Him, to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. He's the source. He's the sovereign agent. He's the singular one that is worthy to receive credit and praise and recognition For all things. Creator God delights in that. He deserves that. He is rightly recognized by the evidences that He has put on display in creation. And He is very jealous about where glory is attributed. Romans chapter 1, that again awesome and pivotal passage. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what, he has, what has been made so that human beings who have the privilege of observing creation are without excuse. Paul goes on to say, even though they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks. It became futile in their speculations, and Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged that awesome glory, the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. The great divide that is such a part of our experience in our world today, those who have exchanged the glory of God to worship the creature So, my desire, my goal is to just lay before you a quartet of biblical themes that are going to flow out of the scriptures and relate to the glory of God that is made manifest to us in in His creation. So, let's begin with God's majesty in the format of creation. God's majesty in the format of creation. First of all, creation was a triune exercise it was a triune exercise in the beginning God created you know that's Elohim it's a plural it has to do with the one who's going to say verses later let us make man in our image and as we work our way through the word of God Malachi tells us we have one father one God who has created us Genesis 1 is going to tell us that the Spirit of God was brooding over the waters. John 1 is going to tell us that the Word became flesh and nothing was brought into existence without the exercise of Jesus. All things came into being through Him, nothing existing apart from Him. Colossians 1, Hebrews 1 affirmed that all things were created by the Son. It was a triune exercise. It's an important reality just to be aware of the fact that God in His essence and in His triune nature was absolutely without any needs. There was no reason for Him to supply any kind of personal need or shortage by creating other things. He's going to create out of the abundance of who He is, not to supply any lack. So creation was, in fact, a triune exercise. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit united in their work of creation. Secondly, creation was a verbal exercise. Peter's going to say, By the Word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Psalm 33, By the Word of the Lord the heavens were made and by the breath of His mouth all their hosts. By faith, Hebrews 11, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God so that what was seen was not made out of things which are visible. Talk about power. The power to speak into existence from nothing, everything. And in those uh, awesome six days, oh, the... (laughs) the the everything that came about. The awesome Word of God. Thirdly, the uh, uh, creation was a systematic exercise. It was a systematic exercise. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. In the beginning, time. God created the heavens, space, and the earth, matter, and those pillars of scientific research were brought into being in that moment from the sovereign voice of God Himself. In the beginning, God created the heavens. I'm speculating for a moment here, we are not told specifically exactly, but. Somewhere along the way, the angels were made. And my, my vote is in this word. In the beginning, God created the heavens. And I think that's when the angelic beings were created. My only support verse, of course, comes from Job 38, verse 7, where the Lord Himself spoke, speaking to Job said, the sons of God were shouting for joy when they were witnessing what I was doing. And if you're going to have God having angels shouting for joy at creation, they had to have been there, right? They had had to have. That's good logic, I think. Talk about a a massive team of witnesses. And uh, they were excited to watch what God was doing. In a strategic and I believe a very parabolic manner, Jehovah God commences to create this universe beginning with a globe that is in darkness and void with the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And I believe God did that not because something happened, something bad happened ahead of time, And he's starting over. No, he started at this point for a reason. He's teaching us in the process of creating much about himself. He's letting us know from even that vantage point and from the very first day that his power and his working will always take us from darkness to light. It will always take us from that which is empty and hollow and bankrupt To that which is awesome. That's his nature. That's his delight. He loves to transform that which is void into that which is very vital. Systematically and with perfect purpose and precision, God is going to speak into being and into existence things that teach us of himself. He's going to start dividing things, isn't he? He's going to separate light and darkness. He's going to separate water and land. He's, things that need dividing, He divides. And things that need being put together, He brings together. He's going to limit things that need limiting. You just can't have an ocean going any place it wants to. And God's going to set limits for the water. He's going to fashion a unique place in all of the universe in which He would display His glory this awesome planet called Earth. The Old Testament phraseology is so rich as you walk through the text and you find this phrase over and over. He stretched out the heavens. Just... The, the the bigger and the better our telescopes get as man tries to find one more glimpse of something that'll satisfy his origin theories that block out God, they find out that this universe is just way, way, way bigger than the human mind has the capacity to even take in. God stretched out the heavens. He, these are the phrases He established, He ordained, He founded, formed, and created the physical cosmos, and He says, I did it all by Myself, all alone, including the host of stars by number, Isaiah 40.26 says, and you know the rest, He calls them all by what? Ay, 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 ay. Have you seen the, the little books that they sell to, to name children? they got to upgrade them every few years because it keeps changing. But naming the stars, we've got a great God. Day by day for six literal 24-hour days, the God of glory bought, brought samples of His glory into being. And at the same time, he was commencing a life sequence and a cadence for his living creatures. He did it in six days and dressed it on the seventh, setting a pattern for us. He's creating days of a certain length, numbers of days for the composition of a week, numbers of days for the moon cycle and the passing of a month and years and etc., and All of those things were strategically woven in a systematic way by God the Creator. God's majesty in the format. Let's look at His magnificence in the features of creation. The features of creation. By the end of day six, as Moses wrote it down, I wonder if he had a privilege of talking to some of those angels. I'm not sure. I know the Holy Spirit was there. He had the opportunity to write down the the record of creation. By the end of day six, Moses said, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was... What's the next two words? Very good. And who is doing the evaluating? God himself. And his flawless evaluation of his own handiwork was, of course... Right on, everything was functional. It's incredible. It had to be. Everything was functional. I had the privilege of living in Or, Minnesota, for a few years in early ministry days, and a lot of uh, a lot of cold, cold days. Highway fifty three is the Pretty much the only north-south road between Duluth and International Falls runs right through Orr, And it was pretty easy to spot traffic coming through and anything that was unusual. And every once in a while in the midst of a winter, you would see six or eight shiny black Honda vehicles in a train. All following each other, going through or Minnesota, a little town of three hundred and fifty people, and we knew why they were there. They were going to the coldest place they could find in America to find out if their cars are going to work in the troubles that cold can bring they They had to test them out you I've never been in that process, but when you're manufacturing something like that that somebody's going to have to depend on to get from point A to point B, it's virtually impossible to figure out all the contingencies that that machine's going to have to go through. Not only water and ice and wind and extreme cold, but children and pets and rodents and insects And can you imagine all the... You've you've found this out as you've spent any time in your vehicle that somebody had to think that through because what you just did would have been disastrous if they hadn't planned ahead of time. And then there's always that one or two little quirks where you find out they should have done something different here. But to imagine the creator of the universe knowing full well every contingency that every one of his creatures would be required to face, and he prepared for it in advance, and they were utterly functional from the get-go. God's creative handiwork. It was no problem for his perfectly and infinitely wise heart and mind. This planet and every creature on it was prepared for life and Functional from the start, it was all distinctive. Every plant, every tree, all vegetations varied, purposeful, diverse. As we drove down here this evening and and watched the the stands of tamaracks, and they're in their they got wet feet and swamp ground, and then if it gets a little wetter, then the cedar trees are there, and every one of God's plants was designed to be perfectly distinctive. The sea creatures and the birds, you, you and I are, are still aware of the fact that there are sea creatures that have yet to be discovered. The oceans are so vast, the animal life is so vast. If you are a bird watcher like I am and you get any kind of opportunity to start Recording the passing of birds. It's amazing, is it not? We've got cuckoos that come through. Did you know that? They're, they're so secretive and they, they march along the ground. And I, I've finally got to see one. I'd heard them many times, but every creature distinctive, land animals, reptiles, 100% designed by the Maker to wow us and to be a blessing to us and to be cared for by us. All of them with built-in variations within their kind so dogs can be Chihuahuas and St. Bernards and be the same kind. And the... uh Lord, however, protected the kinds from being confused. All oh, were producing after their kind. They were all distinctive. They were, they were all breathtaking. Everything that God brought into existence causes us to stand in awe. For six thousand years, human beings have been compelled to stand in awe at the wonders of the Creator and His handiwork. To this day, humans are in the process of developing and engineering products based on the wonders they find in creation. Biomimicry, it's called, and the, the awesomeness of God's handiwork. God's majesty in the format. God's magnificence in the features. Let's continue on with His meaningful faith builders that He built into creation. Psalm 111.2, Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Biology was my favorite subject. I'm not sure my teacher... I know my teacher didn't know Jesus, and I know she had way different ideas than I did about it. But it's always a great thing to study the handiwork of God in creation. Romans 1.20, since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen. The awesome testimony of God's power, of His wisdom, of His creativity, of His delight in His creatures. Jeremiah assessed it this way, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. Sounds like a song that I know, doesn't it? I think it is. You have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm and nothing is too difficult for thee. The testimony of creation as to the power of God. Was it not one of our Lord Jesus' favorite teaching tools to take His disciples aside and say, man, are, are you guys worried about tomorrow? You need to look at the ravens. They, they have no refrigerator, no freezer. But man, they, I can't put uh, uh, stale Cheerios out in the driveway for more than a half hour before the ravens show up. They are supplied by the Lord. They're fed well. Consider the lilies, says Jesus. If you are in anxiety about life's essentials, consider the lilies. Look at how I'd clothe them. Not even Solomon in all his glory had garments like them. Well, faith builders, think, think of solitary Adam. What an amazing parade of creatures God brought before Adam shortly after he was created. God brought these creatures before Adam so that he could analyze them and name them and learn from them. I am, I'm astonished, aren't you, at the brain power that God gave a man just a short while after he's created. He's already got a vocabulary and some kind of capacity to analyze and, and generate words and concepts. And God brings all the creatures in front of Adam and gives him this priceless display of the awesomeness of his power, and uh, the Lord's power. And then he prepares, of course, Adam for marriage. He's looking at this... this orange and black dappled thing with this long neck and these two little things up there. and, mm, Giraffe. I don't, I don't know how he did that. I just don't. But as he walked, Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe go by and Mr. and Mrs. Elephant go by and Mr. and Mrs. Gorilla go by and every one of them was unique. Every one of them was sensational. None of them said, hey, Adam, thanks for the name. It wasn't Narnia. There were no talking animals. Not at that moment, I don't think. But God was building an awareness in Adam of his nature and his plans for human life by using the display of animal life in front of Adam part of his growth, part of his training. Think of suffering Job. God gave Satan permission to test Job severely. He has decimated. He has lost his property. He's lost his family. He's lost his health. He is broken and confused and wearied by well-meaning but unhelpful friends. And Often the distance, a tornado is turning and it gets close. And that tornado turns out to be a veil within which God is approaching and coming near. And God begins to communicate with Job. And the record of Job 38, 39, 40, and 41, 75 questions God gives Job Zero direct theological information. He just starts asking him about creation. He starts asking Job about the magnificence of every aspect of the planet that Job was personally familiar with. How do you hang this world in midair? How do you limit the oceans and keep them in place? How do you make daylight cycle so strategically and so regularly? How do you make oceans that are so dreadfully deep? How do you build weather patterns? How do you create wind and rain and lightning and ice and frost? How do you put stars up that stay in one place so you can look at them and find constellations that let you know where you are in a given night? What about the lions, the ravens, the wild goats, the wild donkeys, the wild oxen, the ostriches, the horses, the hawks, the eagles? God just kept asking Job and asking Job, have you considered this? Have you looked at that? Have you seen what happens in this one's life and that one's life? Have you seen the way that I put this together? And then just for good measure, God says, what about behemoth over there? A dinosaur that's extinct. Massive dinosaur. Behemoth. His, if his tail was out in the parking lot, completely across the street, his head would be behind the screen here. Behemoth. What about Leviathan? It's one of the, one of the classic uh, expressions of God's humor when he says to, uh, to Job tangled with this guy in a fight, you better remember it, because you're only going to get one chance. Leviathan, massive, fire-breathing, dragon-like dinosaur that's extinct, but was very much a part of Job's world. Job's response tells us that he got the message. He was looking at creation, and his faith was being built Not by God's explanation of why he was struggling, but by the exaltation of who God is. And Job is able to say, I know you, Lord, can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Where did he get that? From the display of creation that God had just reviewed with him. I know that... You are all powerful. I know that you, when you set your mind to accomplish something, it will be accomplished. And this is how he closed his moment of interaction with the Lord. Now my eye sees you. Therefore, I repent and retract in dust and ashes. Praiseworthy was his God. And he bowed before him in humility. Think of singing David, Psalm 19, that we've mentioned already in the 8th Psalm. The heavens are, in fact, says David, telling the glory of God, and the shepherd boy knew that very well from years of growing up under the stars at night. He wrote in the 8th chapter, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? The heavens were keeping young David's heart in perspective. The awesomeness that out of all the majesty and all the vastness of what God had created, he actually did care. He actually did interact with this infinitely small creature called David. God's glory in creation led David to marvel at the grace that God extended to him. It built his perspective. It built his faith. David wrote into his spirit-led lyrics, multiplied layers of God's glory that had been manifest in his creation. He called for all aspects of creation to join in praises to that Creator as we mentioned and delightfully highlighted in Psalm 148 god's meaningful faith builders in creation finally god's might in the finalities of creation god's might in the finalities of creation isaiah 45:9 woe to the one who quarrels with his maker an earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. Oh, how the Spirit of God led prophet after prophet to grab onto that Old Testament picture and compare the relationship between Almighty God and us as potter and clay. Potter and clay. The glory of God in creation will prove to be a crucial aspect of the Lord's final dealings with the wicked. Clay relating to the potter who have spent their lifetime quarreling with their Maker. One of the old road signs that you don't see much anymore. Are you ready to meet your Maker? used to be on the roadside from time to time. Are you ready to meet your Maker? David appealed to the human heart by saying, oh come, let us he say, worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Paul laid it out clearly in Romans 1 where he spoke of the pending wrath of God upon human truth suppressors who are without excuse because of the testimony of creation and yet we withhold the honor and the recognition that is due to God. They exchange God's glory and the truth about God for a lie and they worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever ever. Under this heading, God's might in the finalities of creation, my heart is very much aware, especially as I open the pages of Revelation and read through it, that this whole world that has been so aggressively drenched by Satan with the so confusing and Uh, a spirit-darkening lie of evolution. That there is no creator, that we happen by chance. The father of lies has been very successful in bringing the intelligentsia of the world to proclaim it with with such bravado and authority that myriads have been buried under its awful effects. But that delusion will, in fact, and perhaps is very soon to be, suddenly dissolved by the Maker Himself. And when we wrap up this brief study of God's glory and of um, in creation, in the Book of Revelation, there becomes, I think, a record that is somewhat similar, if not very familiar looking just like the ten plagues that God brought upon Egypt. Where everything that the Egyptians were worshiping, God struck in such a way that they were aware that it was not a God not to be worshipped. Far from it. And when you watch the trumpets or the seals and the trumpets and the bowl judgments unfold, God is in... One way saying to a world that is has even come to a place where we call this Mother Earth and where we have Earth Day, and yeah, we're stewards, but but we're Im- involved in a deception that says this is all there is, and it's up to us, and man, we're if we're gonna survive, we've got to hold it all together because this is a this is everything, and uh Myriads of religions have gone even deeper into worshiping the creation in very aggressive ways. But when the Heavenly Father begins to judge this old world, those things that are so special to mankind are going to be touched in such a way that the eyes of man will be lifted away from this old earth. Revelation 4, the earliest of the praises of the 24 elders, which I think represents the church of Jesus Christ around the throne of heaven. Worthy are You, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things. Because of Your will, they existed and were created. All that is, is because He wanted it to be. And he not only initiated it, but he will powerfully bring it all to his purpose conclusion. He built the universe, including this planet, to grow old like a garment. It's going to wear out. It had a time limit. Intentionally. It's a created thing, not an eternal thing. And God has other plans for this old world and this earth. From chapter 6-19 6-19 in the book of Revelation, we hear our Lord dealing with earth dwellers, those that dwell upon the earth. And He's shaking all things that are shakable so that the things which are unshakable will stick out and become apparent. Every aspect of what mankind has foolishly set their hearts upon to worship, God will be dealing with. And here's, here's part of their response. For the vast majority, the record tells us they blasphemed the name of God who has the power of these plagues and they did not repent so as to give Him glory. Tragic, but very exposing. And even in the midst of that, listen to this moment of mercy. John says, I saw another angel flying in mid heaven having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. The creative activity and reality of God will be a key declaration to unbelieving mankind in the final days of God's judgment. He will not let them forget. Mercy in the midst of judgment, a final appeal. Appeal based upon the glory of God as Creator. He's the Alpha and Omega. And oh, by the way, is that BTW? Is that that's the letters? I think it is. By the way, just to finalize His sovereign purposes in all His works, God launches His majestic finalities by isolating all evil forever in the lake of fire, and dealing with all unrighteousness decisively once for all. And Peter says, and according to his promise, we're looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Oh, that's a great, glorious word tonight, isn't it? In a world that's screaming with unrighteousness on every side. So if you and I are privileged and by the Spirit led to rightly see and honor God and glorify Him based on His creation as it is now, wait till you see what's next. The new heavens and the new earth which righteousness dwells. On some of our long trips, Debbie and I listened to the Focus on the Family audio version of Chronicles of Narnia. I don't know if you're Narnia lovers. We enjoy Narnia. And in that particular uh, series, C.S. Lewis uh, pictures the... uh, Darkness that has come from the evil that has overcome a country and its Aslan shows up and in the midst of the darkness he begins to sing Narnia into existence, a new world. It's the birth of Narnia. Diggory, I believe, and a cabbie from downtown London are there and Uncle Andrew and Lewis pictures uh, Aslan, the lion, picture of the Lord Jesus singing. And as he sings, the darkness begins to melt and glory begins to occur as the birth of a new world is happening. And Uncle Andrew stands there in fear and he's mumbling this, that, and the other thing. And and my favorite line perhaps in, in the whole uh we vent the cabbie when he says, Oh, stow it, governor! This is no time for talking. This is a time for listening. I can't wait to stand beside the Lord Jesus as we share in His glory through faith in Christ and watch Him recreate the heavens and the earth. I think He's going to let us. I think we're going to be wowed out of our socks. If we wear socks, Father, you are the Creator. The issue of your creative majesty is huge. To leave the human race without excuse just by looking at your handiwork. But then you've blessed your children with the opportunity. To see through the wonders of your handiwork, that which builds our confidence in you. For you are powerful, trustworthy, and caring. You are wise, you make no mistakes. You have done all things well, including. Providing for your people. The wonder of our Lord Jesus. Thanks for these opening moments. The opportunity to bask in your words, record of your glory. Thank you in Jesus' name.